This episode is sponsored by independent Swiss luxury watchmaker Ulysse Nardon. Ulysse Nardon has continuously reset the boundaries of watch engineering and design thanks to its long-established technical excellence and its unconventional approach to watchmaking. To find out more, visit ulysse-nardon.com. That's U-L-Y-S-S-E-N-A-R-D-I-N.com. Ulysse Nardon. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. The market for superyachts has been experiencing some of the best years on record thanks to an unprecedented surge of activity following the COVID-19 pandemic. Yachting became synonymous with a means of escape from the global shutdown, and new and used superyachts began flying off the shelf at a rate that left brokerage houses and shipyards struggling to keep pace. One boat giant that's been making a splash in the superyacht industry is Marine Max, which is currently the world's largest recreational boat, yacht, and superyacht services company. Marine Max has dominated the news over the past couple of years with record-breaking acquisitions of major superyacht brokerage houses and expansion into the boat marina sphere. I'm joined on the luxury item by Chuck Cashman, Chief Revenue Officer and Executive VP at Marine Max. As CRO, Chuck's duty is to drive revenue primarily through sales. He also has an overarching responsibility for brand selection, marketing, and all things revenue-related. Chuck served several positions of increasing responsibility since joining Marine Max in 1992. Chuck is also a current board member of the International Yacht Brokers Association. Welcome to the luxury item, Chuck. Scott, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Me too. So Chuck, I think a great place to kick things off is to tell the listeners who might not be familiar with Marine Max, sort of a snapshot of the company's history and perhaps a breakdown of your different businesses. Yes, certainly. So Marine Max, uh, we we went public in 1998. We were an accumulation of some uh, five, actually, basically C-Ray dealers from around the from around the U.S. U.S. based, and our core business was C-Ray boats, 18 to, I think at that time it was 63 feet. But the the core of our business was probably around that 30, 40 foot range, and. You know, I won't take you through every step of the way, but over the last 25, 26 years, we've we've grown within segments and expanded into other segments. So, you know, we, we were really pretty good in that 18 to 60, but then we had a void 60 and up and we went out and found some some yacht manufacturers to go into a partnership with. And we, we started down that road and we maybe expanded from 18 to approximately a hundred feet over the next five or 10 years. And the business along with that, the hundred foot boat business got a little bit better. You know, more and more people were, were recognizing how, uh, how special that is. So we're now we're in the hundred foot boat business and, you know, we, we look to diversify, we got into insurance and finance and, manufacturing to some degree in marinas and technology, but it all, everything all centers around the marine industry, right? Our core, we're, we are a, we're definitely a company that, that looks to be, you know, fully comprehensive and cohesive in the, in the boat business. So after we got to a hundred feet, we recognized that some of our clients kept, uh, 
kept moving and uh, they were they were kind of growing up with us and then growing out of what we had to offer right and in the last couple of years we acquired Fraser Yachts and Northrop and Johnson in an effort to just you know we want to be the lifetime provider you know it's a Pretty cool. I'm, I'm a little over 30 years in the business. I started, we were one store basically with one brand, and now we're probably 100 locations around the world with multiple brands. But what what I've seen now are, are people, families that I sold boats to early in my career, now their kids are buying boats. Hmm. And, and as they migrate through, we just... Our industry is, it's a very personal industry. You know, we don't have a million clients. You know, we maybe sell... Eight nine thousand boats a year. We're really, you know, we're we're tight with our clients. We know them. We know the families. We do a lot of. We do our getaways where we go boating with them in groups. And uh, when you lose one, it's uh, it's a little more impactful than maybe yeah. some other industries. So, you know, we got into the super yacht side so that honestly, now from basically the smallest boat in the world to the biggest boat in the world. If you choose to do business with us, we can provide that service, and uh, we work hard to earn the right. And uh, you know, we don't assume we're going to get it, but uh, it's been very nice for us. Yeah, and it seems like the tide is high for Marine Max these days. You recently announced a strong fiscal third quarter results, setting record revenue for the company. What were some of the highlights that contributed to that growth? The last couple of years, I'll go back a little bit. Right to uh, pre-COVID, we were on a great run. Um, you know, we we were kind of setting record after record, but, you know, in a growth company, that's what you want to do, right? You don't want to, you don't want to go backwards. It was, business was what I would say reasonably good. And then COVID came and uh, there was this period, maybe 60, 90 days of uncertainty, tremendous uncertainty. And then the Marine industry exploded. It just was, uh, you really couldn't travel anymore. You certainly couldn't do the luxury trips to Europe and the Italian villas and all the things. So all these people that had the capability and the desire to go do something special didn't know where to do it. In a boat, you know, we we were on record at the time as saying, "Look, if you've got to go, uh, you got to go um, isolate somewhere, quarantine. What better place to do it than on a than on a boat?" Mm-hmm. And our business went. It just skyrocketed. So it was, uh, we had two just absolutely amazing years. The whole industry did. It was the, it was the, probably the tailwind of the century. You know, I, you never say never, but I don't know that it'll be duplicated. So beating those days, you know, as the world gets back to normal and travel picks up and you see all the luxury travel, all those companies are doing just amazingly well, you know, Beating that was a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. We have more headwinds today than we had last or two years ago. But what what really did reset was our customers' passion for boating. And if I had to say, how did you do it? That's how we did it. Our, our clients are amazingly resilient to uh, the economic strains that are out there. Interest rates are certainly higher today than they were a year ago. But yet the passion for boating remains. And it was uh, it was awesome to see, you know, because I'm a boater. I am. I'm also a boater. I love boating. I know what it does for my family, my friends. I know, I know what it does for me. I'm, you're always surrounded by the people you love. It's just an awesome way to, to spend some time. But kids soccer, kids baseball, travel, things get in the way. Right. And, you know, you right. turn around and you're doing everything but boating. COVID kind of recalibrated that and reset it back to, there's a lot of people out on the water. 
So honestly, when I look at it, we did a lot of things right in our business. You know, there's no question. But without without the customer's appetite to go boating, uh, we we would all those things kind of go by the wayside. Do you think that uh, momentum has been carrying into you know the middle of this year, towards the end of this year? Look, it's it is no question. It's tougher today than it was a year ago. However, it is still very, very good. We're, uh, you know, we're we're doing well. It's uh, it's it's not as easy as it was, and and to be fair, it was pretty easy there for a little while. You know, we had we had new people coming into the industry, and you know, as a veteran, I was trying to say, look, it's not like this all the time. But and and you see it in other industries too, you know, where things were just demand was. Demand was a little higher than normal, um, but the demand remains, right? People people do want to go boating and they do see the value in it. And it is a good place to, it's a, I've always said it's a magnet for the family. You know, that just, you say, let's go boating and generally everybody wants to go do it. So it's, uh, yeah, it remains. It remains. The uh, I believe the industry data will tell you that it's um, contracting a little bit, no, nothing to, nothing to really get nervous about but it is and, and of course some of the federal policies in the u.s are trying to bring it down a little bit right the economy was overheated they're trying to bring it back down but there is plenty of business for us to continue to grow we have to be a little bit better than the competitor down the street which that's that's on us we'll do it you know that's i'm not afraid of that um, but the demand there's plenty of business out there to to, to have another really i think another couple of good years and Marine Max seems to have been on quite a buying spree in the last few years, making some record-breaking acquisitions <clears throat> and a major global expansion into the super yacht sphere. You know, as you said before, you acquired Fraser and Northrop and Johnson, two of the biggest super yacht brokerages in the world, to make your company the dominant leader in the super yacht services business. So aside from having the biggest, what is the bigger strategic opportunity for Marine Max around these acquisitions? It's a great question, it, and I'll I'll start by saying it was never to be the biggest. Uh, funny enough, it's uh, we we are the biggest, but it was never the goal. We want to be the best, and uh, and I want to be able to provide. If there are if there's appreciable needs, if there are you know measurable needs in a segment in our industry, we want to be able to serve it. And we were completely underserving the super yacht side. Uh, so now we serve it. And now we have a, like you said, if you had the two of them together, hands down, we're the biggest, but we really, I could tell you, we could go months without anybody internally ever saying we're the biggest. It's always about how do you, how do you improve? How do you become better? You know, in the Fraser and the J story was we did want to go into that space. We identified Fraser as the they were the one that we wanted to go after. We we didn't have really we didn't have a plan B. That was the one we wanted. And you know, we acquired it. We were thankful we did. And which brought Northam Johnson to knock on our door. And, you know, I, I've said the story a couple of times. We we weren't looking for another one. We were trying to understand what we had just acquired. You know, we knew we liked Fraser. We had done our research. And Ed and Jay, we just fell in love with the people. They've got some dynamic leadership. They've got a really good management team. Uh, you know, it was almost like, you know, call us in a year and we'll be ready to to expand because we, we were still getting our arms around Fraser. But uh, N&J, we really did just fall in love with the people. And it was, uh, you know, our acquisition strategy. If the people aren't culturally a fit, then 
there's no sense going to the next step. There is no business that I can see that you'd ever want to get into if somebody's just going to hand you the keys and say, you know, you go run it, we're done. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, that's not our style, right? We, we generally don't buy broken businesses and we, we very rarely buy businesses where people are just looking to, to totally get out. We could be part of the succession strategy, meaning, you know, listen, I want to, I want to take some chips off the table and I want to work my way into retirement. That's all fine. But we, you know, we, we like that principal or principal group to be there to help us through the transition. So, you know, when we got the two companies, we were, now we really are the dominant player in the industry. Um, now it's about filling in the edges around it. You know, so after that came IGY, which right. was the biggest acquisition we've ever done in the marina space. But really, that's just about providing, you know, you know, cradle to grave services, meaning, okay, now you've sold a boat. Hopefully we financed it. Hopefully we provided insurance with Fraser and N&J. We can... We can give them crew placement, yacht management, charter management, do, do the whole thing. Now you got to have a place to put it. Yeah. You know, the marina. And, and it isn't it isn't totally about the revenue, although we do like the revenue, right? It's it's why we all do what we do. Uh, it's about a better experience when a when a Fraser boat comes into a IGY marina. I want them to have a special experience. Not that everybody that doesn't come into the IGY Marina deserves a special experience. I just want it a little bit better. Just put a cherry on it. You know what I mean? Just yeah. maybe there's a, maybe there's just a touch point, um, a note from the the Marina manager that says, you know, we just talk to your representative at Fraser or NNJ or quite honestly, even our Marine Max Core, right? Our, our core business, they go into the IGY Marinas all the time. And just something that, that makes it a little more special that, that, that customer that's done business with us says, wow, these guys really are, they're, they're just on their game. And it seems like marinas have also been snapped up by the likes of Marine Max and your competitors. So as you said, is the thinking here now that, you know, you have a strong foothold in the mega yacht sales and management space and buying a place to dock the boats is the next logical step. Well, it is. It is. It's that and a little bit more. You're right, um, especially when interest rates are really, really low. Uh, marinas are very consistent income and a phenomenal investment. I think you'll see the marinas maybe cooling down a little bit now that interest rates have spiked. Cost of funds is a little bit higher. You, you don't bet that you make a ton of money in the marinas, but it's very consistent. You know, it's just a, it was a diversity play for some of these big REITs that are out there. And uh, we like it because it it not only overlaps our core business so well, boats. It also does provide some diversity and some, uh, you know, some decent repeatable revenue. So aside from providing safe, secure berthage to patron yachts and high level services, what goes into creating a successful marina for today's global market? What's going on today is. Boats are getting bigger. Let's start with that. Boats are getting bigger. And with that comes increased power. You know, funny enough, when, when you start looking at the power demands of a marina, it's almost like a small city. I mean, really, you're you're providing to, to a neighborhood, right? All these right. boats that are four bedroom, three heads, you know, 10 air conditioners, they take a lot of power. And uh, making sure that you've got appropriate power to to 
to manage everything that comes in there, um, you know, access on and off the boat, all the amenities now. So if you think about marinas, not a lot of new marinas are developing today. So they're, they're, they're legacy. They've been there for, in some cases, hundreds of years. Well, the boats today are not the boats of a hundred years ago. So massive development. We, uh, you know, we're partners on a marina in Cannes in France, and uh, we're going to do a hundred million euro marina development improvement to the existing marina, hundred million euros over three years to basically get more boats of bigger size with bigger power demands it's one of the premier marinas in the world and you, you got to invest in it to, you know, number one, to keep it relevant and number two, to keep it full and get your return. It's uh, always looking for the next level. So aside from acquiring Fraser and NJ and more global marinas, what other ways is Marine Max growing its business? We still look in those spaces. We have a handful of marina proposals on a, you know, on our, on our, IGY desk right now and we're going through those there there still is an appetite for more of that um we've really cooled down on the on the super yacht service provider because i really think we have best in class between the two combined and there's plenty of synergy there we like technology quite honestly we uh we've invested in a couple technology companies we think that uh and I can tell you, it's it's honestly the the marine industry is probably three levels behind some of the other industries in terms of the technology that surrounds it. I, I truly believe the future will be led by technology from a ease of operation, ease of acquiring information. So we're we're investing heavily into technology. We've got into the insurance business, which came to us with uh, Northrop and Johnson. Uh, we really like that from a recurring revenue. And not only the recurring revenue, which is really nice, the um, just getting insurance today is getting harder and harder, especially in the U.S. You know, when you look at Marine Max's footprint, if a, if a hurricane hits the United States, it's going to be close to one of our stores, basically or coastal all the way around the east coast of the United States. And every time it does, it just makes it harder and harder to get insurance. So we like the insurance space you know, financial services space um, and, and just enhancing what we do, right? You know, we, we look for white space that we're not in. We try to find either build it or find the best in class company in that space to acquire and just keep, you know, like spokes on a wheel. You just want to, you want to have it fully around. And there's only, you know, I, I, without tipping our cards too much, there's only a couple spaces that we don't have, you know, a good provider for. So we'll look, we'll look for those white spaces and, and we'll continue to expand. You know, the, uh, the good thing about a little bit of a downturn is uh, it does create a nice, creates a nice environment for acquisition. And the demographics of super yacht owners and charters are changing too. Over the past 20 years, the average age of a super yacht owner dropped by about 10 years, a trend that is probably going to continue. So it's predicted that within the next two decades, the average age will be between 35 and 45 years old. Who are these young owners and charters and how are their interests changing the industry? It is a phenomenon. You're, you're exactly right. It is definitely, you know, the 10 year data, you're, you're dead on the money. It's come down 10 years. Um, you just have to think about what, how that person has grown up. Uh, information is readily available. 
right? They, they do everything electronically. They're totally comfortable dealing via text, via WhatsApp, via, you know, just not, not the face-to-face -face deep relationships that you used to have. Uh, but what I will tell you with this new generation is they're very, very well informed because the information's out there. So, you know, when we talk, when we talk to our sales team, or our service team, you know, one of our, one of our values, right? We have some core values is honesty. And I'm like, just do not give information if you're not sure, because you're putting yourself at risk. Many times today, our clients will know the boat that they're talking about as well as the salesperson, because they can study it over and over and over again. They're, they're so much, they're so much further down the funnel than when I started 30 years ago, you know, back then there were no cell phones, really no internet. I mean, it was just a, you know, if you, if you wanted to learn about a boat, you had to go to the, you had to go to the dealer or you had to go to a boat show. So that, that was it. Well, today you could do everything, but drive the boat online, videos, walkthroughs, images i mean our list typical listing has 50 60 images every nook and cranny of the boat 3d walkthroughs you know just it, it's a wonderful time for all of us but it's a different time you know i think there's less you just don't it, we had customers in covid that bought 50 meter boats that never saw the boat and we never saw the customer hmm. i mean travel was restricted they had a trusted resource. We did a, you know, multiple times, I, more than once. We would do a FaceTime walkthrough of a boat and the customer would purchase it. Probably the biggest purchase they've ever done in their life. And it was done over an iPhone on a walkthrough on FaceTime. Wow. But it's, it's, it, that's, what, that's what that new generation is comfortable with. Yeah, and speaking of the new generation with growing awareness of the effects of diesel-powered yachts on the oceans, pressures on the industry to provide alternative solutions, you know, is generating more and more, you know, eco-yachts hitting the seas. Are, are these younger owners and charters showing more interest in yachts that use green technology? It, it, so, yes. I, I'll give you the short answer is yes. Although it isn't as passionate as I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. I, I happen to be very passionate about it. I believe that uh, alternative propulsion, alternative fuel, just, you know, how do you, how do you make a boat more green? And there's a lot of little ways to do it, quite honestly, that, that maybe doesn't offset the, the diesel being burned, but there are other ways to be less impactful on the environment on, on your daily basis. Right. And, you know, we're, we're talking, we put more water makers on boats now with water purifiers so that you don't have to bring three cases of bottled water. Right. Little things like that, right. Where you're not just generating, you know, garbage bag after garbage bag of trash and plastic bottles, put a water maker on the boat and you're drinking pure water. So little things like that are making a difference. The super yacht world, Probably 50% of the boats right now are coming out with some sort of alternative propulsion um, because they have the real estate to do it. And in the fact that alternative propulsion is a little bit more expensive, they they have the, you know, they're insulated from the, the pricing pressure. You know, if you take 50 feet and down, there's very few boats out there that are that are going to give you your day of boating with anything other than the standard propulsion. 
you know, air, and there's a lot of companies trying with electric boats, but they're constrained by range. And when they have the range, they're constrained by speed. So the, you, know, you, you need both. You need to be able to go someplace in a boat. You need to be able to get there in a reasonable amount of time or it doesn't work. So I'm excited for the prospects that it's coming, but I think we're, we're way behind the car industry. I, I literally bought an electric car this year and I love it, but it's so limited in terms of what you can do with it, right? You know, we have business in Fort Lauderdale. I can't drive from Tampa to Fort Lauderdale in my car. Right. Really limited. Take a boat. It, it's, you know, it's like trying to, you know, ask your Tesla to pull a house, right? <laughs> You're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resistance in the water. So we're not quite there. I'm excited for 20 years from now. I'm really excited to see what it is. I, I, I personally believe that hydrogen is going to be the answer, but I mean, there's a lot of scientists that are going to try to figure out what it is. The new generation, though, to get back to your original question, yeah, they have they have interest in being less impactful to the environment. There's just fewer solutions than than probably they expected. Yeah, and as you were saying, we, Earl, go ahead. I didn't know. No, no. When you boil it down to, hey, you know, you you want to go to the Bahamas, but it's going to take you twice as long to get there. Right. It's it's just not in balance yet. That's all. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Chuck Cashman. A pioneer in innovative technologies and the use of high-tech materials such as silicium, Ulysse Nardin is one of the few integrated watch manufacturers with the expertise to produce its own high-precision components and movements. In 2001, the brand changed the face of watchmaking by launching the Freak, Freak led a counter-revolution to traditional watchmaking and reshaped the art of horology. Today, Ulysse Nardin remains devoted to its quest for watchmaking perfection through four collections, Freak, Blast, Diver, and Marine. We're back with more from Chuck Cashman. As you were saying earlier, you know, everything is pointing to super yachts getting bigger and bigger. At the beginning of this year, the top 25 largest yachts in the world now total a combined 11,849 feet with the smallest yacht on the list measuring a whopping 417 feet. You know, I get the super yachts offer a kind of privacy that is, you know, nearly impossible to come by on land. But what is the reason behind the supersizing trend? Without sounding disrespectful or trite, it's probably right. ego, quite yeah. honestly. It's, uh, you know, they, they're realizing their capabilities. You know, they, they've, many of these, they're titans in their industry. They they don't know limits. They don't know boundaries. They're, they're it's totally emotional. Um, quite honestly, I just believe they're, they're, they've had aspirations and now they're achieving it, which I think is a wonderful emotion, by the way. I yeah, think that, you know, you, you have goals and you, you want to acquire, you want to build something. And you think about building one of those boats, you're keeping hundreds and hundreds of people employed for years. You know, they, super yacht owners are taking a little bit of heat right now. But if you think of the ecosystem that building one of those yachts and keeping one of those yachts on the water provides, hundreds if not thousands of families are benefiting from it and it's good good honest work right boat building ship building that it's the world was founded on that right it's they've been building ships in the world for thousands of years so you know it, but it's a, what gets them there 
you know, and, and ego can be a healthy thing. It's not a bad thing, but they're, they're achieving lifelong aspirations and realizing their capabilities that I could build something that's 400 and something feet long. Yeah. I was reading an article that cited a Silicon Valley CEO that said one appeal of super yachts is that they can absorb the most excess capital. He explained, and I quote, rationally, it would seem to make sense for people to spend half a billion dollars on their house and then 50 million on the boat that they're on for two weeks a year. But it's gone the other way. People don't want to live in a hundred thousand square foot house. Optically, it's weird, but a half billion dollar boat actually is quite nice. So is that the type of thinking pretty common is that type of thinking pretty common among the super yacht owners a variation of that is right it's a it's a it's a wonderful statement when you think about it but right. it, what what you will find and it, it really happens well below 400 feet 300 feet 200 feet i mean at 50 feet that boat many times is more expensive than the home that the customer lives in and often the boat is the biggest purchase of somebody's life. I mean, I can tell you mine, it is, you know, and I don't have that big a boat, but I mean, it's boats are expensive relative to homes. A $2 million house and a $2 million boat, that $2 million house is pretty nice. Yeah, right. Depending on where you are, it's, uh, it, it's dramatic. It's magnificent. But here's what it boils down to, in my opinion. There's a lot of people have opinions on this. This is mine. Home is shelter. Homes where you live, homes where you base. You go boating. You take your you take your family, you take your loved ones, you take the people you care about most in the world, and you go do something exciting. To me, it's just two different equations. It is, you know, I think when I first started trying to get my head around selling a boat that was probably out of reach for at the time, something I thought I'd never be able to even buy. I'm like, my goodness, how do people spend this much money on boats? Until you start understanding what it provides. Mm -hmm. The best times of these people's lives. And I can tell you personally, the best times of my life are on a boat. Best times. You go through my phone and I mean, there's water in the background of 75% of the pictures. And not because I'm in the industry, because I'm boating with my family. And that's that's what I enjoy. And I think that's I think that's where you get the... I don't know that you could spend a billion dollars on a home unless you bought so much acreage that it was insane, right? It's just the equation, it gets out of balance because boats are, they're just more expensive. Right. And the purchase of a luxury item, whether it's a diamond, a Picasso, a super yacht, or a private jet is pretty exhilarating prospect for most people. So it is not difficult to imagine how the duller aspects of due diligence and tax considerations might be overshadowed by the excitement of the moment, I would imagine taxes arise from all sorts of angles. So do you find the first time yacht buyers are well advised about taxes and customs and customs terms that are involved? It's a phenomenal question. I, I would like to think that they are, especially through us, but with so many first time people coming into to boating at such a high level, no, there's a there is an opportunity. There's a weakness out there right now in the industry as a whole that they don't know what they're getting into, especially when you get into crude yachts where 
you know, oh, I want to register it offshore. Well, are you sure? Because, you know, now you can't have certain crew of certain nationalities on certain registries. Mm -hmm. You can't go into ports if you're registered under a different flag, you know, without certain things, certain protocols. It is amazingly complex. And the bigger the boat, the more complex. So, no, no, we we pride ourselves. I would tell you that both Fraser and NJ are amazing at uh, at having people that you could talk to 360 degrees of of all of these nuances and it is it's no fun it's very complicated it is uh you know it really i don't want to say it slows the process down but it gets you off the you know it's an emotional purchase no question about it right but now it gets you into a very unemotional process right but it's important to do it and it's important that's why it's so important to go through a company that's reputable, a broker that's reputable, get an attorney if you need to. I would recommend it when you start getting to a certain size boat. Just just make sure that you're getting professional advice, especially being new to it. Um, and the world's changing on a daily basis, right? I mean, just in the last couple of years, look what's gone on with uh, Russian owners. And it, it just the world changes. It's a big purchase, complicated, get good advice. So as a veteran in the yachting business, what are some of the major changes that you've seen over the years? To me, the access to information, it, it's just such a game changer. When you think about all the boat shows in the world and, you know, how would you ever see a boat historically, you know, go back 25 years where maybe they weren't on the internet. I don't know what date the internet started, you know, really becoming prevalent, but I know 30 years you didn't. You know, when I started, people would say, do you have this in stock? They'd call you on the phone. They'd leave their house. They would drive to the showroom and you would show them a boat. Now, if you're lucky enough to have that boat in stock, then maybe you can move forward. But otherwise, you, well, you know, I think we'll have it in a couple months. You know, I'll call you when it comes in. Hopefully you remember to call them. Hopefully they haven't bought something else. In the meantime, it was so archaic compared to what it is today where literally you can everything but get water in your face online right. I mean, it's you know you can there's so many services that provide information so i love an informed buyer however there's so much information out there that it's almost oversaturated you know it's analysis into paralysis is an old <laughs> saying that uh it's almost too much so now now you have a buyer that really thinks they know it all and, and they know a lot yeah, but now you're now you're filtering information and trying to you know build a foundation for a good relationship. So has the that growth takes, of, that takes a minute. It takes a minute to do it. How has the growth of social media and the surge of yachting influencers changed the way you do business? You know, that's one. It, it is. There's no question that social media is uh, it's just present in the world and it's influential for sure trying to connect the dots on, you know, if I, if I put about, you know, put about on Instagram, you know, does it, does it bring me a sale or if a customer's on Instagram, you know, that, that has probably a little more power than me doing it. Um, it just, it, it elevates awareness for sure. It can come with pros and cons, right? Because some of the, I, I don't think everything out there is accurate. Uh, you got to make sure that you're filtering through all that. Um, but it definitely brings the, uh, it definitely brings the awareness up. 
right, of, of what you're doing and who's doing it and how they're doing it. Pros and cons, right? There's right now there's a, a little bit of wealth shaming going on out there. And, uh, you know, I don't get it. I honestly don't. You know, I grew up thinking if I worked harder, maybe I'd get to that place where these people are. And it was always motivation and inspiration for me, um, as opposed to resentment that you see out there today. It's, it's really it, it's just an interesting time. As yachts have grown more capacious and the limits on passengers have not, more and more space on board has been devoted to staff, toys, and tenders. I've read about IMAX theaters on board, hospitals, testing equipment, uh, ski rooms. Guests can suit up for a helicopter trip to a mountaintop. What are some of the more standout perks that you've come across on the newer super yachts? How about a hair salon? (laughs) How about a a three-seat hair salon? And uh, certainly massage tables. I've seen discos. And when I say a disco, it was you could put 30 people down in there. You know, those are those are the extreme ones. Uh, what you'll see over and over again is better integration to the water. You know, they're building marinas behind the boats now with some of the inflatable docks. And, you know, they're building a pool in the ocean behind the boat with a net because some people don't like, you know, they get nervous about the sea life and, uh you know, they want to know that they can jump in the water, but they don't have to worry about something nibbling on their toes. It just, you get to, you get to this level and, you know, it's limitless. You know, I remember, I remember the first time I think I ran across a boat that had a little pool in it. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Well, now they have multiple pools. You know, they have on-deck masters with, with a pool up on a private deck, and then they have a pool down below that's salt water, and they have a pool on the bow that's fresh water. I mean, it just, it's whatever you can dream just about, you can do. I've seen underwater observatories where they have lights that shine out of the bottom of the boat, and it literally was a glass bottom to the boat. Big yacht. So you 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 would hold, you wouldn't anchor, but you'd hold over a reef at night and they would, uh, they'd shine these lights down onto the, and you're, you're in a glass bottom boat with a little theater around it. It just had to be, I never saw it in that, but I, I, I saw it, but never over a reef. Had to be amazing. There's a lot of creativity if you can remove all of the limits. So American owners make up the majority of the super yacht market, right? They do. You know, the number moves, and I don't know that there's a, a true, uh, you know, audited, but I would tell you if you took it into three tranches, they're firmly in the middle tranche, you know, it's 40 to 50%. It, the number moves around a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, America is phenomenal for yachting. And if you think about it, right, it, it was people that boated here founded the country. I mean, there, there's a Big legacy, big maritime legacy, if you really think about history, that uh, that boats have played a part in. You know, are most of the American owners of these super yachts, are most of them uh, tech titans? No, no. But I mean, it's hard to ignore the the wealth that has been generated out of tech in, in the when you get to the stratosphere, when you get to the very highest level of that uh, of that segment. Yeah, there's a lot of them are from tech. But there's all kinds. I mean, it really is amazing. You see some generational wealth. Uh, you see some good, what, you, what I call good, wholesome, hardworking American stories that, uh, that, that people started from nothing and 
now they're buying a lot of real estate, a lot of developers, hedge funds. There, there's, there's all kinds of walks of life. After years of fueling growth at luxury brands, the aspirational consumer segment grew, which typically opts for entry-level luxury goods, are pulling back on big purchases due to inflation and interest rate fears. However, the inflation-resilient uber-rich continue to drive growth, and we're seeing luxury brands focusing on putting out elevated offers and experiences that cater to those specific tastes. Are you seeing the same thing in the super yacht space where the entry-level buyer is under more pressure and reconsidering that yacht purchase while the demand remains hot for the higher price $2 million plus boats? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes, it is. Um, we're doing everything we can to combat that. Well, part of that, look, I don't want anybody that's under $2 million to feel pressured. We have some resources at our disposal to, you know, we don't want to take our eye off that buyer because ultimately that buyer migrates. Not everyone, not a one-to-one -one basis, but, you know, I, I believe that if we can get a hundred people out there voting, one or two of them will trickle up through the ranks and get into, get into some yachts someday. You know, they, nobody necessarily starts out at, uh, you know, 30, 40 meters. We're working hard on that, but it, it's, it's real right now. The interest rates are, uh, they'll affect you. Our wealthy customers, you know, if you, if you think about a wealthy customer, go back three years, two years, where the, say a good boat loan or the mortgage rates, which is something that's, that's more measurable, it was around 3%. They weren't getting a dime on their savings. They could have $10 million in the bank, but they weren't getting a dime on it. So you're paying 3%. Well, today the rates are 8%, which is a miserable rate. Yeah. But the somebody with the ten million dollars is earning five percent, just just putting it in a CD. So it's still that three percent yield. So that's why they're more resilient. A payment buyer, you know, in a, you don't want to categorize them, but somebody that's going to finance the boat that doesn't have the offsetting cash in the bank, their rate is eight percent because they're not earning five percent on anything. So you know, people are. You know, just wealth is is more resilient, and uh, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I, you know, I wish there was, I, I wish there was a better way for people to experience boating without uh, without the impact right now. You know, to me, the government definitely is trying to slow it down, and they are a little bit, but they're not hitting the people that they really wanted to touch. I don't want to shift the focus and go after the the wealthy, but there's got to be a better way to do it. Because you're really impacting the people that need the help the most. And you're not really impacting the people that, uh, that in my opinion, they're, they're trying to focus on a little bit. So what role do boat shows play in driving sales compared to your own event-based marketing and experiences? Yeah, you know, in, in your previous question, I don't think I circled back on events uh, and experiences. That's huge. Yeah. It, it, it is huge, right? The, these people want something that nobody else can have. And the more we can do it, uh, the better off we are. So boat shows, where, where I grew up in the industry, boat shows were so essential because if you wanted to see the boats, that's where you had to go. We kind of talked about the power of the internet now, um, you know, taking away a little bit of that. Boat shows are under tremendous pressure right now. I love boat shows. I'm getting ready to go to the Monaco show here in a right. couple of days. I love boat shows. I love seeing our team. I love seeing the boats. I love seeing our customers. They're phenomenal. I don't need it. 
I don't need them to sell boats. I go because I want to be a good steward of the industry. I go because I want to, I want to maybe meet new customers, but I could, I could do just about what I do today, having special events for our customers. And, and I, and I want boat shows to survive. I, I want to be part of them, but the, the, Boat show promoters are under pressure today to provide a better experience. And I'll use the, you know, Fort Lauderdale Boat Show in America is one of the biggest boat shows around. It's a wonderful event. We'll do an incredible amount of business in four or five days. However, somebody coming in there to buy a $10 million boat has got to wait in line to get in. The the food there is not commensurate with the purchase that he, they're looking to make. Yeah. There's line. It, it just, it's a, it's more of a carnival than a, than an elevated buying experience and I, I i like i said i love boat shows and you know i have the great relationships with all the boat shows they're under pressure and i feel for them because there's just too many there's too many other factors that are that are bringing their value down so they've got to they've got to reinvent themselves in the next couple of years in my opinion to uh to continue to provide value or they're going to lose people like me and customers so what kind of experiences do you, do you put on for your customers? You use the, um, use the example of the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show. In advance of that, we, um, you know, we start bringing a fleet of boats, an armada of boats from all over the country to go into that show. So in advance of that, I have to get them all clean. I have to get them all into one area so that when you move into the show, which it's, a, it's like building a city, quite honestly, in a couple of days. It's, it's right. an amazing event. If you time lapse, you know, photographed and filmed it, You'd be amazed at what goes on. Well, I, you know, I'll have twenty-five yachts in basically one place. So we started thinking, hey, let's these these twenty-five yachts that I have, um, they're all clean, they're all staged, they're all ready to go to the show. Why not I have my own little event? So the week prior, we're going to have an event that's invitation only, valet parking, and we literally just talked about it on a call where you know you go to a boat show and you know you paid to park $50 and you got to walk a mile to get there. You got to ride a bus. Well, you go to our yacht center, you, you walk up, it's valet parking. We go park your car, come in, grab a glass of champagne, a glass of wine, a glass of water, whatever you want, and go walk through 25 pristine yachts at your own leisure without all of the things that go around a boat show. We'll bring in sponsors, sometimes, you know, watches, cars, all the, all the typical, you know, luxury experience type things that customers like to see. And, uh, and it just becomes a curated event. So it's just one example. We can do many, but that's nice. And then we get all our clients to come there, hopefully. And then we don't have to worry about them going to the boat show. Ideally we would, you know, if we're going to do business, we would do business before the boat show. You know, we're always looking to stay more connected with our clients for a lot of reasons. One is we enjoy it, but two is it's a, it's just a better experience for them. So I've been reading about autonomous boats have really taken off recently due to advances in AI technologies. Are you starting to see yachts equipped with automated systems that allow them to navigate on their own with minimal input from humans? You know, it exists. It is not, I wouldn't say it's been adopted However, I think it'll be one of the quickest ramp up of new technology in history. Because when you really think about when you're out on the water, there's so few variables. You know, if it, it's got to be 
10 times as easy to have an automated boat as it is an automated car. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about a car with bicyclists and other vehicles everywhere and hundreds and hundreds of cars around you all the time going, you know, this way and that way. Boats are kind of out there. But it is, um, yeah, the technology is there. It's almost there now. Um, but it's, I, I don't know that anybody's going to give the keys of their boat to a computer quite yet. It'll it'll reduce the number of crew. It'll make crewing easy. It'll certainly be an enhancement to the whole experience. But I don't know that it'll ever really eliminate the need for uh, a human interaction. You know, Volvo's a great partner in uh, in the marine industry, and they literally have a boat that'll dock itself. Hmm. And uh, I think that's awesome. But I don't know that I would ever advise a you know a client to walk away from the helm because you're your docking system and and Volvo wouldn't either from a liability standpoint. So I'm like, Hey, once you're there, why not just drive your boat? But I will say that, you know, going back to a couple other comments that we've made to this conversation with all this new, new buyers coming in, new wealth coming in, the number one thing that they're afraid of, and they'll never tell you is docking the boat until they practice it and become second nature. It's one of the most, you know, when you think about who's on the boat, right? All the people you care about, all the ego, all the emotion that goes into buying this boat, and now you're going to dock it, and they're measuring you on how you dock the boat. And uh, and a lot of and again, this isn't the super yachts because those owners are never touching the wheel. But you know, in that two, three, four, five million dollar boat range, uh, you know, autonomous docking is there. I still think probably more old school than and I am a tech forward guy, but kind of old school when it comes to this, just practice and dock your boat. I, I'm probably speaking out of both sides about it. Technology's there. I'm not sure how well it's going to be adopted. What other potential trends think will shape the industry over the next few years? I, I definitely think the um, greener for sure, right? Uh, you know, there's boats with hotel mode now couple of brands we represent that can go fully silent for 24 hours. So the air conditioning, the refrigeration, the televisions, everything can work off of batteries and you're totally silent. And it doesn't seem like it's a lot, but that's pretty cool. Or you go out for a day and you're going to, you're going to swim behind uh, the back of the boat where typically you'd have a generator running and it'd have exhaust and you, you'd get a little bit of whiff of the exhaust fumes now it's going to be batteries, right? So a, a little more green, a little more, you know, electrically powered, battery powered, uh, integration to water. Certainly they're getting better and better at, you know, sides pull down, then they fold down and go down into the water, platforms that go down into the water and basically create a little beach two feet under the surface to where you've got stairs. And, you know, all of that is uh, pretty exciting to me and boats are you know more glass for sure more structural glass so that when you sit in the salon of a boat you used to look at a well in the old days you'd look at a porthole then the porthole became a little bigger and then it became a little bigger well now you just have structural glass walls and that to me is pretty dramatic those, those are some of the some of the things so chuck what are some of the highlights we can expect from marine max in the next six months I think more of the same, you know, we've spent a long time trying to figure out who we are, what we are, where we want to go. We have a good plan. I mean, and I'll tell you as a business, we don't have a 10 year plan. 
We don't have a five-year plan. We've got a good three-year plan that we kind of refresh every six or eight months because the world changes so fast today. I mean, it's just amazing, right? Go back three years, maybe three years is the wrong date, but uh, my plan prior to COVID is a lot different than the plan after COVID, right? So things like that, you just get, so you get disruptors. So we're, uh, we're going to work our plan, right? We're going to, we, we want to be best in class in any space that we play in, right? We want to be the, honestly, I want to be the best local dealer in every market that we are. I want to be the best super yacht provider wherever we are in the world. And then you add it all up and, and then you're the biggest, which is secondary to continuing to stay ahead of customer trends, you know, making sure that we're anticipating their needs before they tell us. Um, and we're going to grow into places. We're going to reinforce places that were strong and we're going to grow into spaces that are, that are kind of open and, uh, you know, whatever that means. We'll, uh, we'll do an announcement here in the next week. That's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I'll tease it up a little bit, but it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. We'll have an announcement over the Monaco boat show that kind of reinforces what I'm talking about. Just, uh, get, get stronger in the areas that we currently exist and, and continue to look for those white space opportunities. So my final question, Chuck, is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one single luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of water transportation. So you have to eliminate your whole fleet. You know, it cannot, yeah. nobody in that fleet can pick you up. So that's out of the equation. And you can't have an airplane or any kind of, you know, air transportation pick you up or anything that requires mobile service. So you can call somebody to take you off that island. It's just you, lots of sand, lots of palm trees, lots of ocean. What would that one single luxury item you would like to have with you? Well, first of all, it sounds like paradise, right? It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, half our owners are trying to get to a place like that. So uh, probably to many of your listeners, it's not going to be a luxury item, but I, my, one of my most treasured possessions is a, uh, I've got a, uh, a stainless steel Rolex Yacht Master, and oh, it was nice. aspirational to me for so many years, and I've had it now 20 plus years, and it is, uh, to me, it, uh, that would be it. That, you know, it's, uh, I'd want to know the time. Yep. Yeah, you know, I think people, whatever, whatever the luxury good is, there's, you know, everybody's got their touch point that somewhere along your life you see something and i remember this you know seeing seeing it and it became it became a goal and aspiration and there's there's so many watches that are so far beyond this but this one just resonates with me and you know of, of all my possessions that would be that'd be one that i'd want to have with me chuck cashman chief revenue officer of marine max thank you so much for joining me on the luxury item uh, it was a pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me, truly. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.